Hello everybody and welcome to the latest edition of your Blood Red podcast with myself Andy Kelly uh, Today I am not joined by our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, James Pearce We have given the part-time of the day off uh, I am however joined by uh, one of our regular um, guests, that's Christian Walsh, you okay Christian? Yeah, not too bad, thank you Andy And I'm delighted to say that today we have a special guest uh, here at The Echo And I'm delighted to welcome Samantha Quack to the Blood Red Podcast. Uh, welcome, Sam. Thanks for having me. Very much looking forward to it and getting yeah, stuck in. Yeah, absolutely. Now, many of you will know, probably via um, a fairly embarrassing picture of Sam with Stephen Gerrard when she was much younger, <laughs> that she is indeed um, a big red, which is why we've, uh, we've got her on the podcast. Um, but she's got a big weekend ahead as well, which we just wanted to mention. So, Sam, you're back, obviously, you're a world girl, um, but you're here this weekend for a big sporting event down at the Echo Arena. Yeah, absolutely. So it's Sports Personality of the Year, um, and it's back in Liverpool. I think the first time it was here was 2008. Remember it well, yeah? Yeah, yeah, I do. I think Chris Hoy won that one, but really excited for this year. Um, not only will I be watching it and being a fan of all the athletes that come through, um, I'm going to be working on the red carpet and doing interviews with the BBC. So it's going to be a really, really good experience. And as I say, what a better city, you know, it's got reds, blues, we've got so much sporting talent and one of those sporting talents that is up for nomination is Bianca Walkden. So I'm hoping everyone's going to vote for her because I think that'll be a dream come true for her, obviously, with all um, her titles that she's won this year. Yeah, I mean, she's... Um... She, we remember her from the Olympics, just, you know, obviously, uh, as we do yourself uh, as a gold medalist. And, uh, um, I mean, she's not in uh, towards the top of the baton uh, for, for it, but probably because, would you say, just because she's in a, probably in a sport that, you know, doesn't have that mass audience, I suppose, of some of the one, or some of the people who are probably more towards the favourites to win it, I suppose. Yeah, I think it, it comes down to that. Um, I think Bianca herself, you know, she's been through a very turbulent time after 2012, missing out through a really serious injury. Um, and I think the last time she's actually lost was when she got a bronze at the Olympics. So um, she thoroughly deserves it. Um, and I think now her name's getting a little bit more known. So hopefully everyone behind her in Liverpool can vote for her. But yeah, when you're up against the likes of Anthony Joshua, you know, you Mo Farre, Harry Kane's, naturally more people know that name and they're going to vote for them. They can see their performances on telly because it's very well broadcast. So, yeah, that's definitely, um, you know, a bit of a hurdle Bianca will probably have to overcome. But I think if we all get behind her... Yeah, and there yeah. is a big public vote involved, of course, so you, people can have their say, can't they? Yeah, definitely. I think people can vote on the website and they can phone up on the night and things like that. So um, it's live on BBC One at 645 um, and yeah, tune in because it, it should be a good one. Christian, are you a sports personality viewer? I mean, I remember when I'm old enough where um, it was, I mean, one of the nights of the year, sports personality of the year, you know. I mean, I don't quite remember um, Tommy Stack, whoever it was, whistling at Red Rum, but I certainly remember them through the 80s when I was growing up. And it was just like one of the nights of the year. I think as, maybe as the BBC hasn't quite got as many sports as it used to have then, it's come down a little bit, but still fantastic. And I remember... Bobby Charlton got a fantastic reception in Liverpool, didn't he, in 2008, whenever he got the, um, the special award, didn't he? he got the, the Lifetime, lifetime Achievement award. didn't he? Yeah, it was, it was, uh, for me, sports personality always used to signal, you know, growing up, it was basically Christmas. You know, it, it'd be on and then it'd be like, Christmas is ready now, you know, this is, a, normally it'd be sort of the end of term, the end of school term, and that'd be your Christmas holidays, and the first Sunday would be BBC Sports Personality of the Year. So, you know, obviously you grew up, not just a football fan, I grew up, um, you know, loving a lot of sports, so... I used to enjoy all the, the razzmatazz around it and 
I think it's really good the way they've, they've taken it on the road because it used to be on at the television centre, I think, and now these sort of. I went to the one in Sheffield the year after. Yeah. yeah. Um, Liverpool, because I was um, doing my journalism degree there, and uh, Ryan Giggs won it. So uh, that was that was an experience for me watching it. Ryan Giggs lift lift the uh, lift the trophy, but yeah, for me, always always enjoyed it. Always, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think still holds a bit of gravitas and. You know, it's, it's just a nice way to see out the year and, and, and yeah. you know celebrate what people have done you so, know, throughout sports. So anyone who you're particularly looking forward to getting on the red carpet, so to speak, for an interview, or is anyone you'd be who you'd be nervous at talking to? Because we've all got those people who, um, you, you know, I suppose mine is, is Kenny Zaglisan, and every time I've spoken to him, he's been an absolute gentleman. But yeah. but because you sort of admire and and. You know, sort of respect, and you know, used to be such a fan of a person. You're always slightly terrified about speaking to them. Um, anyone for you on that red carpet where you'll go? Ooh, really hope to get this person, but I hope it goes well. Um, I'm extremely lucky, really, because being an athlete, um, you know, I think probably quite half of them are Team GB athletes. I know Anthony Joshua was a Team GB athlete before he went professional. Um, so you know, I, we live with them for what three weeks over the Olympics, and mm-hmm. they become kind of a almost like a, not a work colleague but a friend and you you see them progress but I don't think I'm going to be nervous um I think it'll be more nerves of don't mess up Sam you're live on the BBC when I do the <laughs> interviews and stuff like that but um they'll obviously not not only will the nominees be there there'll be like legends of sports you know like you say you can Kenny Dalglish hopefully will be going we yet to see the confirmed guest list but I know um last year Michael Phelps was there People like that who you wouldn't normally come across in this country I think sometimes it's extra special to see someone like that Fantastic. It's really exciting for Liverpool as well, isn't it, to have all of these you know sports stars? Because when's the last time maybe Anthony Anthony Joshua was, was in was in the city or or anyone like that? You know, it's it's, it's you know Lewis Hamilton. I know he's maybe not very popular at the moment, but you know he's yeah. he's a, he's he's still an F one world champion, and there's there's loads of uh, people like that. Chris yeah. Froome as well. They don't normally come to Liverpool, so it's great for the city as well. Well, yeah, we'll have to see who, who turns up on uh, on Sunday night. But that, uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a part of. Uh, hopefully, we'll see. Uh, uh, a Liverpool win on Sunday and then uh, it's Sunday we play isn't it he said yep. trying to remember yes <laughs> and uh, uh, and then uh, and uh, settle down with sports personality but um, we'll get we'll get on to the Reds hey um, look it wasn't great last night in fact it wasn't even close to being great um, Christian you and I were there alongside James it was cold it was wet um, I went for five layers what did you go for Uh Three. Well, you're a hardier man than me. Yeah. I've got a big coat though, haven't I? <laughs> yeah, the big coat was it's out. It's all about the layers. Well, Everyone knows that. It's all about Walsh, the layers. Walsh had the big coat out, but um, it was it was purr and it was it was flat was a word that a lot of people, myself, James, and yourself as well, said very early on that this game feels so flat, and it it was, wasn't it? It was um, it was was it a derby hangover for you? I think it was a derby hangover of epic proportions. I think after 15 minutes, the referee could have blown the whistle and, and everyone would have been OK with it. I think it was one of those games which sort of went under the radar in terms of there was the big big Spartak game that everyone had to get up for and then there was the big derby and then you know a trip to Bournemouth, that's a bit of a worry and then you've got the huge pre-Christmas clash with Arsenal and in the middle of it's just West Brom sitting there and they, they, they've had such a sleeper of a season in terms of you look at the table and you go, why are they in the relegation zone? But then you realise they haven't won since August. And they've sacked the manager. They've sacked the manager. And it was just all of those elements and you know all the talk about the Fab Four and you know rotation. He plays them all together. 
really unexpectedly. No one expected that, especially after that derby selection. And they just didn't gel, they didn't click. There was nothing from the midfield coming behind them. The best performances came from the Liverpool defence, which when you're playing West Brom at home is not is not the, the best <laughs> advocate of, of, of how Liverpool plays. It just had that feeling all night. And I think I think the cop knew that, I think Anfield knew that. Um, there's been a lot of talk, hasn't there, saying you know the Fab Four play a lot better when there's a bit more space. But when you come up against the teams like West Brom, you know, Mourinho did it with Man United and things like that. What's the go-to? Do we have a go-to when there's not that space to use? That's the, that's the thing. I mean, they're, they're they're I mean, they're mostly three of them are very quick, aren't they? I mean, Firmino's maybe not not isn't a, Salah and Mane are your speedsters, and then you've got Coutinho and Firmino are a bit more about craft, aren't they? But Sam says everyone has this template of okay, well, apart from Spartak, who for whatever reason decided, no, we won't. We'll just let you we'll have attack. some space. We'll yeah. yeah, but. Um, they they bring that template. We saw Burnley do it. We saw United. Some says do it. Um, I, I felt we got a bit better at dealing with park the bus sides in in the sense that it feels like we've we've collected quite a lot of points against defensive sides this year. But the draws are mounting up at Anfield, Christian. You know, you had a look at it this morning and more uh, draws than wins. Yeah, which really? is scary, really. Four four wins, five draws, and when you think about that. The, the, Quick bit of maths. I think it's so Liverpool have got sixty-three percent of their possible points at home this season, and they've only been behind for less than one percent of that time. They've, they've they've trailed at Anfield for three minutes at home this season. That was the Burnley. Burnley scored, and then mm. Liverpool basically went up the other end and scored through Salah. That that's you know that doesn't sound like a school teacher. That's not good enough. If, if, if you're only behind for three minutes out of so it's nine games. What's that? Can't do any maths. Nine, 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 a thousand minutes. Yeah, a lot, a lot of minutes. A lot of, <laughs> yeah, a lot of minutes. Um, if they if they're doing that, uh, you know, the the, the 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 focus has to then fall upon the the the, the, the strike force because you're thinking, well, you know, the backline are doing their job. The much maligned defence are doing their job. They only conceded yeah. three goals. One of them was a fluke. Yeah, one penalty. Yeah. One a penalty. They're doing their job. It's for the front six then to to do theirs. Um, I think Sam's right in the sense that what what helps Liverpool with the Fab Four and, and all that is spacing behind and an early goal. If Liverpool would have scored an early goal, they had that chance through Firmino after about 20. If that goes in, you're comfortably predicting a, a 2 3 4 0 win because yeah. West Brom will have to come out. But with well, Liverpool, the, the longer it goes without getting that first goal, the more emboldened sides will become. Not emboldened in terms of attacking, but emboldened in terms of defending. They'll think, we can hold on to this, we've got something to hold on to, and Liverpool will get frustrated, and that's what happened last night. Well, that thought yeah. process, I've literally just been doing a little piece with Gary McAllister and Andy Robertson, and it was Gary who said, they need to bring in a rule whereby if you get a draw, you get no points. Whereas if it's a one all, then fair enough, you get the points. But if it's a nil-nil you get no points because then it's going to make teams come out and play rather than just sit off, sit off and protect that point with a nil-nil. I don't think Rafa would have liked that one. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I thought that was <laughs> really interesting. It's an interesting yeah, idea, really isn't interesting. it? Yeah. I, mean, I don't think I'm, we'd like it if the shoe was on the other foot, would we? I'm going to have to turn that one over in my mind before I work <laughs> out what I think of it, but it's definitely a, an interesting I've, I've heard the idea that a score draw is worth two points and, and a nil-nil is worth one, so that sort of promotes attack and football. Yeah, Um well, yeah. ultimately, Jurgen Klopp's paid the big bucks, and and it's for him. And you know, he's got a lot of attack and talent at his disposal. Yeah. It's it's for him to figure out how to get around these teams. Yeah, Sam. I mean, yeah, I know you were at hockey training last night and couldn't be at Anfield, but the and you were listening on the radio. The 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 you mentioned what do we do when sides 
sort of cut the space off. What he did do was turn to Dom Solanke, who came off, who obviously is a different type of striker, more size, good um, good athlete um, and, and strong lad. And obviously he almost gets the winner. I don't know if you were in the car on the radio when, the, when that went in and then it gets disallowed. Um, what do we think on that? I mean, at the time, I have to say, I thought it got... Uh, Jan Mulby, who writes a column for the Echo, had, had said to me a few weeks ago, he said, just needs one to go in off anything, Solanke, just needs a goal, whatever way it comes, and that'll change the season. And I, I said to James Pierce, who was up beside me at the game, just after it had gone in, I said, just what Jan was saying, he needed one to go in off anything, because I thought he'd come off his chest and gone into his head and gone in. But, I mean, it looks like the official probably got it right, just about. But it was the sort of decision that a lot of officials wouldn't even have seen because it was so close and um, it just feels like Klopp certainly addressed it afterwards in the press conference he feels like a few little things like the Derby penalty haven't quite gone Liverpool's way at the moment are you feeling that as a supporter? Um, I mean first of all Solanke I think he's proved his worth with the under 20s getting the golden boot there and Jurgen Klopp speaks very highly of him so there's no doubt the talent's there I mean all I can relate to it as an athlete you have to have an opportunity And I think if you're going to perform and start scoring goals, you need a couple of opportunities because naturally in your first one or two games, you're going to be nervous. You know, the pressure's there and you have to score. So you're a little bit uptight. You may, you know, score a goal that gets disallowed or it just won't click. So I'm really excited to see what what he can bring the next few games. I hope he gets a few more minutes under his belt. Um, In terms of being nervous, I don't feel nervous like things aren't going our way. Um... I am a little bit frustrated in terms of, like, you know, we aren't putting the second half against Everton to bed. We're not winning against West Brom. We're in the relegation zone. Um, And again, I relate it to hockey. Yeah, it's a different sport. But, you know, we come across teams all the time. We were, you know, we're ranked second in the world. And when you're coming up against South Africa and Ireland, who have got good players, but their game plan is to sit and then score on the counter. You have to find ways to break down all 11 players who are sitting in a 25-yard area. And plus, we have sticks, so that covers even more of the distance. So <laughs> Liverpool could have done with yeah. some sticks last night, yeah. looking at the size of the so West Brom players. It's little things for me I get frustrated with. When you're passing it around the back, get some ball pace on it. You have to move the ball quick to move the opposition. And then once you pass it round enough times, that's when the gaps open up. Or if a player passes it you know, into the midfielder and they go again, we're just standing still. I look at it from a very sports, geeky way. But when I'm looking down from the stands, I just feel that the Liverpool players will receive the ball and give it back, but they don't actually move, which in turn means the defenders don't have to move. Yeah. So the opposition aren't moving and moving, and you're not stretching them, so the gaps aren't there. Well, Klopp said something very similar after the game last night, because he was saying basically they had their formation, mm-hmm. and we were too static, and, and we basically had no tempo or pace on the ball, Christian. You were on ratings last night, which is always a... Generally a thankless task here at the Echo. I'm not sure how many hours of your uh, night were spent answering replies. <laughs> but um, Chan, who that central midfield pair of Chan and Wijnaldum, you give a four and a five yeah. to respectively. With Wijnaldum, perhaps in your view, lucky to get a five. Four point five. He yeah, he was. He was more than four point five. I mean, we, they've done okay in the past. It's not. It's not like that combination necessarily doesn't work. Was it an off night, or do you think there's something more? Sort of, you know, systematic about it in terms of that. I think with the Liverpool midfield, it, it sort of it has to work as as like an organism, you know, like a breathing organism. So it, they've done well against uh, Stoke and West Ham. They played that too, but they were away 
and they were playing teams that give them a little bit of space behind. And Liverpool were just more fluid in general. You know, up front they had that I think Oxley Chamberlain Mane were doing really well against Stoke, for example. They were a lot more fluid. And I think both of those players are the, are the sort of players, Wijnaldum in particular, that works well when, when a team's fluid. So he'll receive the ball, and as Sam was also mentioning there, people are moving ahead. So the, move, the ball moves forward and it moves quickly, and, and that's where you pull players out of position. When you give them the ball, if I'm an opposition manager at Anfield, my instruction to my players will be give those two the ball because they're not going to do anything with it. They haven't got the... the the guile or the creativity to with a stand and start to do much on the ball with a dead ball not a dead ball is in a set piece but if the ball is in open play and there's a four players ahead of them in terms of teammates they haven't got the vision I don't think very rarely to to no. make something of it we've seen Chan occasionally step into midfield put a few nice little balls carry the, the ball and occasionally Take a take a shot from the edge. Not not many have gone in, but I think of one against Burnley last season. He scored decisive goal, Bournemouth didn't he? As well, last but, season. Yeah. So, so that I mean, will the overhead kick was that last yeah. season? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, he will he will score your goals, won't he? But uh, uh, every so often, won't he? He's not. He's, you wouldn't call him a goal scoring midfielder in that sense. I, I don't think. I think especially in a game like that where they played a bank of three um, in front of the bank of four, three defensive midfielders, and um, they had Livermore. They had the Polish lad whose name I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Yeah, who had a good game actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Riak or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Greg was his name. <laughs> yeah. um, and who was the? There was another holding midfielder as well. Uh, Jakob was. Uh, Jakob as well. They they are three very much holding midfielders. The, the, you need to do you need to do more than you need, you know if they if they're dropping off then maybe the 25 yard shot is the option there because you know yeah. if they're giving you space to to operate. I just think. Both Chan and Wijnaldum work well when they're picking up the ball, receive the ball on the move, and then they turn around to the left hand side or the right hand side, and there's someone on the move, and they can move it on quickly. That's where they, you know, sort of like a hot potato. Yeah. When they've got time and space to think about, not space, when they've got time to think about what they're doing, they're not, they're not as effective. That's why I think that pairing might work better away from home than at home. Yeah. Sam, how are you viewing the whole Chan scenario as it plays out? I mean, he hasn't signed a new deal. He can chat to other clubs. In January, is the vibe you get um, that you know our days of watching Emre Chan in a red shirt are likely to be limited and uh, possibly heading on his way? And if he did, if he did, is that something that massively upsets you, or do you see him as someone who we can upgrade on? Um, I think it's a difficult one because I know the rumor started, didn't they? Was it with him going to Juventus mm. quite early on in in the in the in the year? But um, again, I just take a step back and I keep on banging him about it. As an athlete, when you see people coming in who are playing your position, you either react one or two ways. And one way is to react in a positive way and go, right, I'm really going to up my game, so I definitely get selected. Or the other way is to kind of go a bit off the boil, a little bit quiet, and be like, oh, I've had enough. I'm either going to stop playing or leave or move club. So, I mean, I'm not saying that's how Emre is reacting. Do you think he's got the cater thing in his company that he's coming, he's going to potentially. But potentially, take my but you know, when Oxlade Chamberlain came in, it was another one of them conversations. Even there was a conversation about Henderson. Where's Henderson going to play? Because we do have the luxury of a good selection of quality players who can play anywhere in that midfield kind of four, three, three or four. Um, you know what? I don't think it's anything to worry about, as I say, because the players who would replace him could do the job. But I think Emre on a good day, when he's firing off all cylinders, I think he's a quality player. He puts in some really good tackles. And I think his stature 
It's good size. Yeah. He's a good size, which I think Liverpool do lack. And I think that's why, obviously, we don't tend to be a threat from things like corners and free kicks. Yeah, I, I think mean, also you've, you've spent three, four years developing them. Mm-hmm. Bought them from Bayer Leverkusen for about £10 million. And, and the whole Liverpool philosophy when it comes to transfers is you buy, you buy them low, you develop them, and you sell you know, you sell them high order. You at least get these players to a, to a, a high value, if, even if you don't sell them. This is the reverse of that, in the sense that they bought them generally low, but they're going to lose them for, for absolutely nothing in the in the summer, which is a real real kick in the teeth when you think about the fact that he came as a you know not an unknown. He was on the fringes of, of the under twenty ones for Germany, and he, he played in the Champions League a little bit. But now he's a fully fledged German international. He's wanted by some of the top clubs in Europe, and he's played Champions League football and Premier League football routinely for two three years. So. It's it's going to be a big kick in the teeth if and when he goes. Yeah, I mean certainly from Klopp's pre-match press conference ahead of West Brom when um, he suggested that he spoke to Chan regularly, but he didn't have anything more to talk to him about in terms of the um, contract. Uh, everything had been said, so that I mean Klopp didn't want to talk about it and said it certainly wasn't for discussion in in a press conference. But it suggested to me that Liverpool aren't likely to be shifting and, and improving that offer if he's got nothing more to tell Emre about it. So I think, really, the ball seems to be in Emre's court, so he'll probably take 12 touches with it and um, and then decide he wants to go. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, that was noticeable again last night, wasn't it, Christian? That, that Sam said that that lack of speed of moving the ball. And um, I mean, Henderson gets criticised for this, and we know a lot of people listen to the podcast aren't, you know, that... Jordan Henderson at the moment is splitting opinion among Liverpool I supporters. Say splitting it. You know, they're, they're, I, I, they're think all... it's, I think he's 80 20. In terms of not happy not with happy him. him yeah. yeah, I mean, I still think Henderson shifts the ball. People say, oh, his passes are sideways or too easy or whatever. Well, I mean, I see him playing diagonals to the wings, bringing the fullbacks into it quicker, switching the ball quicker than Chan does. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, we've had some good games off Chan, but. Last night certainly wasn't one of them. And another player who had a bad game last night was Sadio Mane, who we can't say that very often about Sam. He's been brilliant for Liverpool since mm-hmm. he came in, Sadio, hasn't he? And um, he seems to be a little bit struggling at the moment. And uh, obviously most of the attention's been on Mo Salah because he's, he's been tremendous. Um, Klopp played all his sort of main attacking players, Fab Four, if you want to call them that, uh, last night having not played them against Everton to quite a bit of criticism and uh, they didn't quite fire you know, there was that lack of space you were talking about there were chances but didn't Firmino missed one Salah missed a header um, just didn't quite happy for them, happen for them um, Mane are you worried about his form or you think he's just a class act and you know the old sporting expression class is permanent form is temporary maybe just getting his rhythm back yeah, um, yeah, Mane's class. Um, I think we're so used to him being absolutely exceptional. So when you do go down a little bit of a trough, or I know he's had a few niggles in the last few weeks, they are all things that come into play when it comes to your performance. And he strikes me as the type of player and person, actually, when he is on the pitch, he wants to impress. And like everyone in life, if you can't just do it or you just can't quite execute it and things aren't going your way, naturally you get frustrated. And then it's the downward spiral of, you know, you get more frustrated so you don't perform. So for me, I think Mane, you know, we'll be back in even probably the next game, I think, down in Bournemouth. But um, the frustration thing, I think, is underlying in Liverpool at the moment. We saw some of the clips in the tunnel after the game with Jurgen Klopp and James Milner. And you could see they're not happy, they're disappointed. And obviously they've 
tried to reflect and come out last night, the result's not gone their way. And that's that kind of feeling of frustration and not being able to get a result or score those goals, you know, it's going to be there. It's just how they react and come out for the next game. As an elite athlete, I mean, how do you how do you cope with that? You know, if, if, if you had a bad game, I mean, I'm thinking about Manny in particular, the, yeah. the pass instead of the, the shot instead of the pass, for example. Is it easy to just get it out of your mind quickly? Do you dwell upon it? Does it, does it depend on the individual? How does that work? Oh, it took me about four or five years to actually figure out the answer to that. But I actually did get to a point where um, it sounds really simple. But when you're getting videoed and obviously with a footballer, you've got the entire nation and Twitter and everything looking at you. Your mind just thinks, oh, I can't believe I messed that up. But you have to get to a point where you just don't even bother, don't even think about it and clear it out your mind. But as I say, that took me about four or five years to get to a point where I was confident enough to push that out of your mind. When you do, did, I'm sure, same as football, you do video analysis of a game yeah, afterwards. Yeah. And if you're in a big tournament, the Olympics or whatever, um, and if you're all in the room with your, with your teammates and, you know, Sam Quick's had a brilliant game, but she has an absolute howler there and it costs us a goal. I mean, what's the vibe? Does everyone not know where to look whenever you've made a mistake? Or does everyone go, oh, you know, hard lines, look, you know, you know what you should have done, whatever? Or, or is it just the coach going, well, look, Sam, we know you, you know what you should have done there, whatever? Yeah. I mean, you know? it, it's a bit of both, to be honest. Yeah. And I think you have to be tough and you have to be a good character to be able to play elite sport. You're always going to make a mistake, and I think you always have to accept that. I mean, a classic example is when I played um, right back for GB in the Olympics. Um, it was against uh, USA, and I put the ball in from our 25-yard into the mix. Uh, Alex Danton got a stick on it, and it was scored. We won 2-1. Previous to that, I'd been told, don't play that pass. The percentages are ridiculous. You're going to get it intercepted, and they're on the counter. So we went back the next morning on the video analysis and the first thing Danny said in front of all the squad, all the coaching staff, he just went, Sam, you're a nightmare, you. You're just a nightmare because we'd been taught and coached not to, not play, to play that pass and to pay the percentages, get it around the outside and attack the back line. So, you know, it's swings and roundabouts, but there's been times when actually, yeah, I've made a terrible decision. But on the pitch, you know, you're so tunnel vision. To you, that's the right place. But you've got to have the character to be able to stand in a room and put your hands up and go, listen, I should have passed that instead of had the shot. Um, and I think it, it does take a big person, but that comes with time. Obviously, in Liverpool, there's a language barriers and, you know, people want to score goals. You want to do the best for the team. But, um, yeah, I think with Mane, you know, he, he's just class. Um, and it's probably a confidence thing. Yeah, and again, the questions raised whether the whole rotation of playing people one week and not the other that'll work for some players because they'll get the rest. But for other players, is that going to play with their mental mindset well, of confidence? I'll come back to you on that, Sam. Because I want to talk about how that works in hockey. But um, Christian, a lot of so a lot of stuff on social media last night when I got home. A lot of people feeling that you know, Klopp had played all the players last night. A lot of people felt he played. What should have been the Derby team, bar you know the the change at the goalkeeper and stuff like that, played the Derby team in the wrong game. They played that against West Brom. Now they didn't get the job done, but people still felt that having scored seven against Spartak, we were flying, and it should have been pretty much the same again for the Derby. And in changing it for the Derby, he he ruined the momentum that the team had. Do you do you have any? Crook with that. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because momentum, in a way, it's it, it's an intangible in sports, isn't it? It's not it's not something that you can measure. You can't say, well, you had X amounts of momentum in this game, then you had Y amounts of momentum in that game. It's hard to really gauge what momentum is. It's just how you feel. So, I mean, they could have played that team in the derby, 
and it could have been they could have lost two one. You just don't know. It's all ifs and buts, isn't it? Really. Um, Liverpool's problem against Everton wasn't necessarily creating; it was putting the ball in the back of the net. Now, would the Firmino or Coutinho have, have helped with that? Possibly, but it's it's not something that that you'd know. I was surprised with the Spartak uh, Everton changeover. I must admit, um, not. I mean, yeah, there's momentum, which is you know, as I say, you can't really quantify. But there's also just the idea that it's confidence and and that familiar. There's the way they're going. I can't say familiar adders. There's those aspects as well. So you've come off the pitch and you know exactly what what you've been you know, what what's been going on. To to then sort of take a break for a week, it, it just felt it just felt like a, a, a bit of a, a bit of a waste, you know, strike while the iron's hot almost. Now obviously yes, we don't know what we don't have the data year in Klopp has when it comes to sports science. Um what was happening at Melwood? You know, was Coutinho? He said Coutinho and Firmino were both, you know, a little bit of an injury risk, and that's why Salah came off after sixty as well. But it just, it just felt like it, it was, it was such a big call. It reminded me of uh, when Rafa Benitez did it after the Olympiacos game all those years ago in uh, two thousand four. I think uh, Engog, Nunes, and you know, it was Hoshimi, uh, Engog, and maybe Bischan all started the derby. And it was just it was just the, oh, the hour as well, sorry. And it was just it was just the wrong team. It was just it, you know, yes, we've got to make sure all these players get through safe and, and and they come out of this massive fixture congestion with as much left in the tank as possible. But at the same time, it's it, you know it's the derby, and I know that's a real sort of parochial way to look at it. But it's it's the derby. The tails are up. The player in sync. Just just same again with those four. I mean, but then again. They could lose the derby and then they might have to play Oxley Chamberlain and Solanke against West Brom and they lose one nil and they've got one point instead of two. There's just no way of telling. But gut feeling, I think myself and a lot of people involved with Liverpool would have said the team's got were the wrong way round ultimately. Sam, you were in in Anfield on, on, on Sunday again for the derby. Did, were you surprised to see that team sheet or do you as an athlete buy into the whole policy of rotation you'll have been in tournaments no doubt where your coaches change a few things uh, as with Great Britain tends to pretty well in tournaments no doubt there's the occasional last game of a group or something where you're already through where you might go okay right this is where we start to use the squad a bit I mean how do you view rotation from from an athlete's point of view yeah, I mean, on Sunday when I saw the squad, um, I think I put it on my Twitter. I put like you know three big, few big changes there from uh, Jurgen Klopp. But in Jurgen, we trust, and that was my initial mindset because I was a bit like I was surprised, but again, didn't really have an issue with it because I was confident we would still get the job done. Um, and then it, for me, it becomes like chicken and egg, isn't it? It's do you protect your players for later on in the season because this is a busy period, or do you just play your best team? whenever you can because you need to get the results now because there's no point gambling now and then thinking oh we'll have our best team towards the end of the season everyone will be fit and got through the season well but unfortunately you haven't got the points to then start you know qualifying for for Champions League so as a fan I would probably say play your best team now if someone gets injured then bring someone else in at least then everybody knows their place because as an athlete from an athlete's point of view you lose confidence and your mind runs away with you double guessing what the coach is thinking double guessing what that person's thinking because one minute you're playing you've had a brilliant game but then you're not on the pitch the next day or you're not starting so it's difficult I think I prefer consistency 
but that's not me. But then if there's no consistency, then there has to be a very open forum behind closed doors from Jürgen, from the coaching staff of what he's thinking. Because if there's no clarity on that, then that's when your mind starts thinking of other things and you put pressure on yourself to perform when you're out on the pitch. So I think that's where I stand. Um, you know, if you said to me, should Liverpool be playing their best team? I firmly believe that they should do. Obviously, when you have got the sports data, you know, we had GPS, we had morning monitoring. We had to talk about, you know, what colour our urine was in the morning. We had to do rest <laughs> and heart rate. And because all these things, once you have a good collection of data results before we got ill or before we got fatigued, the physios, coaching staff would know. And then that's when they pull you back on training. So I'm sure Liverpool have got something similar you know, happening at Melwood. So, yeah, I think personally, go with consistency, play your best team. Should anyone show signs of fatigue or injury, then, yeah, by all means, pull them off and replace them. It's one of those as well. I think a lot of people are going to hark back to, to, to Rafa's rotation and he got a lot of stick for it and, and Jürgen's getting a lot of stick for it at the moment. I think the, it's not a difference necessarily, but it, maybe this is the perception. I feel like rotation is accepted if... They're rotated for West Brom at home, for Bournemouth yeah. away, for you know those sorts of games. Whereas there are the stock 10, 12 games a season, which it is the strongest. Chelsea team, no and Everton, with Chelsea two and Everton will yeah. be involved in that. You got to, uh, speaking nowadays, you'd have United, City, Arsenal, Chelsea, Everton, and Spurs, and those those twelve games home and away are the games that you if you can put out your strongest team, you put out your strongest mm. team. Maybe it's a case of... See, I even think, last night, part of your strongest team. Yeah. Because if you do not get three points against Man City, then the three points yeah. last night become so important. Yeah, yeah. which I think is why he did throw out you know, all four. I mean, I was surprised to see... I was less surprised... I was surprised at the Derby lineup, but I was also surprised last night to see that Salah, who he'd mentioned was struggling a little bit with a hamstringy uh, type problem, <coughs> was, was given the start, and all four of the sort of key players started um, no surprise to see Sadio brought off because he wasn't in form um, I'm surprised Salah stayed on for 90 yeah. must have missed after what he said but again I think that was I think it was almost a gamble from Klopp there in terms of I think he's thought after the derby result he's gone well you know Salah's on let's say 80% here feel like I need to get three I need points. To, let's yeah. get the three exactly. points yeah. and then you can rest them against Bournemouth and it's not as much pressure yeah. now he's in that awkward situation where he didn't get the three points it's two two draws from the last two games Bournemouth is coming up and I don't know if Salah can play yeah those those two gambles haven't paid off have they the, I mean two big referee incisions yes the penalty against Lovren um, and the handball against Solanke which yes was probably a correct decision but as Solanke said today it's very unlucky it the, is the unlucky the referee gives it the referee gives it the assistant spots it and it is a hard one to spot and we can't, you can, we can't criticise officials for spotting a correct decision, but I think we all know that in many occasions a linesman doesn't spot that because we've seen linesmen miss far more blatant uh, instances and, and not call it. So we, we have that little bit of lack of luck. But now he's in a situation where we go to Bournemouth on Sunday, as I think we've established. Um, I'm not going to Bournemouth. You won't be surprised to hear it. So uh, we've got Piercy and Jonesy going down there, I think. Um and he's in a situation where, from what I saw of the Bournemouth game, that was only on match of the day, I have to say, against uh, United at Old Trafford last night, they were very unlucky not to get a result. Um, so they're playing quite well. They will be more open against Liverpool, that's for sure, Sam, in terms of flourishing in space in our players. I mean, Bournemouth went to Old Trafford last night and attacked and were unlucky. 
we can imagine that okay, we've still got the nightmare of last season at Bournemouth, the four three, but which you know for me was the game that changed Liverpool's season yeah. last season. But they can they will get a team who will play against them and maybe give them a bit more space and hopefully that while it's a difficult choice in terms of selection for Klopp again, hopefully he's gonna be in a game that will suit his players that bit better, I think. You seeing that? Yeah, I mean, my worry is now that everyone's kind of clocking on, and I think for Liverpool, when you play the likes of Bournemouth and they do come out to play, then great, yeah, we'll get the result. Um, and I think when it comes to the defence with mistakes at the back, if you do it to a team like Bournemouth, they're not going to punish you. But if you go out to play and you're pushing up the uh, full-backs, like Moreno did, I think Andrew Robson and everyone in now, and you make a mistake against a Man United a Man City, they punish you. And it takes one mistake and they punish you before you know it, you won two behind. So, yeah, I think Bournemouth, if we've got space to play, it'll be brilliant. Um, I can't really see us coming away with a loss, to be honest, like you say, off the back of the two games. Um, but, yeah, I just hope there's not really much more to say, really, because I think, I just hope it anyway, that they don't park the bus and they've watched our last two games thinking, this is how we're going to play. We'll draw them out and then get them on the counter. Eddie Ho. Christian, I mean, he as a manager, he has a very, he has a method of playing, and we've seen him play Liverpool in the past, and I, I, he hasn't really looked to do that sort of a kill space job. He, he, he plays his method, and he feels that even if it costs Bournemouth a game against Liverpool, then his is about establishing the way he wants his team to play, and in the long run, that works better. But we did see last season that. While Liverpool dominated the game and you know, should have been out of sight, and the game was the game was over twice, wasn't it? Effectively, um, but we had that crazy period, ten minutes, and they come back and win it four three, and you know the damaging impact of that was felt for a long time. I felt that was the that was the game where Liverpool's aura died a little bit from last season. I think going into that game, everybody was absolutely bouncing and thinking Liverpool have got a real title opportunity on their hands here. I think they drew with Southampton, didn't they? Um, which knocked them off the top of the table but they you know, put six past Watford they put four past Palace and they weren't doing too badly they were a little bit flaky at the back but I think that was the game where people said well, if you get in the faces and if you attack them you're scoring, you're scoring goals yeah. you know, they've got a mistake in them and I think that was sort of the, the template then for a lot of teams you think back to the defeats against Hull and Leicester those sorts of games afterwards be able to watch that Bournemouth game and realise that's how you play against Liverpool they will give you you will always have a chance before that, I think a lot of teams were playing Liverpool and they felt hopeless. I remember Watford came to Anfield, they got absolutely destroyed over within half an hour. Very similar to how they did the Moscow and the and the um, Hoffenheim game. But after that, after that Bournemouth game, I think a lot of teams looked at that and said they're not invin- not that anyone's saying Liverpool were invincible, but you know there's an Achilles heel here and 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 we know how to target it. So. It was that was a pivotal pivotal moment in, in Liverpool's season. You know, it could it could be regarded as a pivotal moment in Klopp's reign because at that point he'd had an established goalkeeper that he brought in from Mainz, and two weeks later he's happened to be dropped because you know he's he's he's, he's not been performing too well. That was the start of the end for Carius with regards to last season. Um, it just it, it all went wrong from that moment. I know they had a little pick up after that, but in general it, it all went wrong after that going into January. So you know. I wouldn't say revenge is on Liverpool's mind, but it's certainly something to be mindful of. They know how quickly wheels can fall off buses. 
and uh, they've got to be really, really sharp to make sure it doesn't happen. I mean, I have to say, I, I, I can see, I mean, we had 4-3 last season, I can see this game just being absolutely full of goals again, because I think, you know, Eddie Howe will probably see attack as the best form of defence. Um, he, you know, he needs needs to go and he's got a home game, he's got to go for three points. Um, he's got, you know, quite like their players at the top end of the pitch. Wilson's back, isn't he? They've Wilson, got uh, King, who's a good player. Defoe's been scoring. Um, who uh, we might even see at uh, Sports Personality on Sunday. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But um, the, uh, you know, it's. I, I just can't see it. A tight game. I think these are two sides that are just going to play football, and hopefully that suit Liverpool. Having dropped four points out of six at home and two home games, it does put that pressure on to go to Bournemouth and win and to yeah. go to the Emirates and get some sort of result, isn't it? It feels like four points minimum, really, yeah. a minimum. Um, it does feel like a must-win this Bournemouth game. Just just in the context of general, because it's, it, it's a very tight race for fourth as it is, and Liverpool can't miss out on that top four. I know they've obviously got the Champions League as a potential route again by winning it, but they're much more likely to get it for a league position. I just feel like it's it's one of those games. Liverpool have just got to be good in both boxes because I think it will be an end-to-end game. I think they've got to be good in their own box and make sure that they, they defend it all and repel all of Bournemouth's attacks. And I think they've got to be good in Bournemouth's box and make sure they put away any chances that come. I think they've got one half of it right over the past two two games, but they haven't got the other half right. It's going to be about mixing and matching that again, making sure both boxes the the spot on. I think it might do Liverpool a bit of good to be away from home. I think both tactically. In terms of, I just feel like that four four two that he started to play works better away from home, and we've spoken about the space and 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 how Liverpool thrive with with that space. He'll get that away from home, and I feel like it's a better setup away from home. I and think also second the crowd. Anfield was very nervous very early yesterday, wasn't it? I think it was ratty. It was, I mean, it was a was, hangover. It was, it was yeah. the hangover, and the players are feeling it, and the pressure's more and more. Then, isn't it? To yeah. get a result. Do you, well, do you feel that from like a? You know, from from supporters, does that does that trans you know transcend onto you? Does that does that translate? Does does it make you nervous if, if, if spectators are nervous? I mean, how does that work? Yeah, it's not more of a nervous. It's more of a again, it's a frustration, and and you kind of know you have to deliver. But when it, you know you try and you're playing the game plan, and it's not happening, and then that's when players start saying, "Oh, pass it here," oh, like oh, and it becomes more of a. Yeah. You know, rather than a you know well played good opportunity, it's the right it's the right decision. You beat yourself up more. Yeah. I mean, at one point yesterday, Laris, I don't know if you, you carries turned around at the cop. Turned around at the cop as to say, "What do you want me to do?" He, well, was, yeah. he was catching the ball, and because he's got this this sweeper keeper status, yeah. people thought that he was going to launch an eighty yard kick straight to the to the header for me. You know, we put it in the yeah. net. I think it was it a was, product of the fact that. The crowd felt the team wasn't playing quick enough, yeah. wanted more tempo in and the game. That have come from and the they, and they thought, go on then, get rid of it, set us away. And they probably, I couldn't, look, I haven't got a picture of that pitch at that moment in front of me, but I'm not sure there was a very obvious quick throw or whatever for him to do. So he's turned round to the crowd, so he's clearly hearing it, yeah. and he's turned round to the crowd and sort of gone, what are you on about? <laughs> I mean, there, there isn't anything there for me. So he's obviously frustrated with it. You could tell when chances were being, you know, the odd chance in the first half, the groan started when, you know, it was definitely after 25, 30 minutes, maybe earlier, where there was, there was, it was a nervous Anfield. And for me, that was all about a, a byproduct of what had happened on Sunday in the sense that at nil-nil, you still need to get one to be in the lead. And then you feel like the crowd feels we need a safety one as well. So they're, they're wanting, you they know. Need, I think Liverpool need like a go-to player. 
Um, and, you know, that used to be Steven Gerrard. He used to, like, if, the, if it was a bit slow or the pace was a bit off, Steven Gerrard would be the one sprinting to make that tackle. He'd be the one really get, sprinting to take the throw in to get things going. And I think this Liverpool team at the moment, there's no one that stands out to me who fits into that role. And you say whether it's going to be Carrius, he's the one running, put the ball down, let's go, get the ball pace up. I think little things like that could help Liverpool. I think, I think this so, is I where think you might have Salah as that, but he's at the top end of the pitch. Yeah. I think you need it from a deeper position, yeah. and I think that this is maybe hopefully what Kayser will bring yeah. In, yeah. In, in, in the summer. Yeah. And I think I this think is why that, Henderson gets a lot of stick because, because he doesn't do that. And this is why Klopp said he's got the hardest job in the world because he's following on from Steven Gerrard. He doesn't have those even when Steven Gerrard wasn't having a good game he could have a great moment within it and even if that especially because so many of those great moments were delivered A when Liverpool really needed them and B late in games that he was someone that the crowd would, Sam says felt they could go urgency, to urgency just yeah. a bit of urgency someone just to remind I mean it happens when I play sometimes you get so carried away with the pace of the game you just need that quick reminder and whether it is someone as simple as sprinting to get the ball to take a quick throw or a hit in do you know what I mean or get things set up early and go 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 it just you just need that reminder and someone if someone goes down injured get the lads in get them in a huddle and say come on this is the game plan we're not doing it we need more urgency better ball pace simple as that and then they go out and it's just a reminder at the back of your head and this is why you know people talk about where are our leaders and these sorts of things well I mean it's a difficult conversation to have because it rarely people often don't pick up on where are our leaders when we've beaten Spartak 7 or wherever do you know what I mean there are but you'd argue you don't need them in them sorts of games in a weird way and I know what you're saying but you know, it feels to me a little bit like we just say, "Oh, we've got no leaders when things go badly, and when things are going well, well, everything's fine. Nobody even mentions a lack of leaders." But I, d- I do think Sam says someone who's, who can mobilise the team, you know, will definitely help. Be interesting to see if Cater can bring that. It's interesting you said. You know, Gerard used to not have a good game, but he could have a great moment. I think Liverpool's midfield is the problem. It's not necessarily a problem, but in terms of perception, they can have a great game, but not a good moment. Yeah. And I think in terms of you know fans reacting to that and, and, and appreciating what they do, Jordan Henderson could have an 8 out of 10 game, but if he hasn't pinged the ball onto the head of someone or fired one into the top, net, into the top corner of the net, it, it goes unnoticed. Yeah. And I think that's the difference there, and I think that's maybe what the, you know, that's what one of the midfielders needs to step up and do a bit more. Whether they've got that in their arsenal, I don't know. Well, fingers crossed we can get back on track at Bournemouth on Sunday. It's not an easy place to go, but it will be a good game of football I think and one hopefully that will suit Liverpool in terms of um, the space that might be available to them but they certainly will need to be on their metal defensively um, Sam can't let you go without talking about hockey because um, you took a break after the Olympics you wanted to you very clearly said mentally and physically you needed a break because you played a lot of hockey leading up to uh, that gold medal Um where are you at sort of mentally and physically now in terms of hockey still on that break <laughs> still on the break yeah, no, um, I went back to club hockey, uh, which is in Bowdoin, believe it or not. It's the only really North Prem team above Birmingham. Uh, so, yeah, went back there, went back to my roots, um, and I'm enjoying it. Um, I had a few back issues during the Olympics, uh, and they're still a little bit niggly now. But to be honest, the reason why I've not gone back into the GB setup is purely because my career's literally just taken off. Some of the opportunities have been insane, yeah. and I'm under no illusion but that's because the gold medal has been a stepping stone and it's a case of just taking them opportunities and they're still coming thick and fast yeah, unfortunately I, I was wondering were you watching the uh, 
the jungle in the last month thinking thank god i'm not in yeah. there i mean i was a massive fan of it anyway but watching it now having been in i just watched it from a completely different perspective yeah did, yeah. did you have i mean you were there pretty much till the end weren't you when you were in i mean um what, what was the worst thing they made you eat when you were in there because i saw somebody having a camel's brain the other day when uh, you know what? Um, mrs the, kelly was watching it the weirdest thing for dinner which i couldn't really get my head around when i was eating it because normally when you eat something it kind of looks like something else we had crocodile arms but <laughs> they'd taken the skin off up until like the ankle joint oh. but left the skin on the claw and the nails on the claw oh my word so obviously they were cooked but you were kind of holding hands with the crocodile <laughs> while you were eating it so yeah that was probably one of the weirdest moments I think when I was in the jungle fab well um, well good luck with hockey we look forward to seeing you as and when back in the GB setup and uh, no doubt there's a big decision to make as to whether you, yeah. you want to go with all your other opportunities or because I imagine you you have to commit full time to try and get back into that sort exactly of exactly that. Know, yeah. There's no so um, just one last question: How many times a day do you get your gold medal out? Oh, it used to be quite often, to be honest. It's, it's been a while. It smells a she little bit. She hasn't brought it with us, yeah. folks. We're disappointed. She hasn't brought it with yeah. her today. It weighs my handbag down. I keep it in a, in a box, in another box, and that outside box now has actually started to wear away. So we'll have to get a new one. Fantastic. Well, um, it's been brilliant to have you as a guest, someone who clearly knows the. Liverpool FC um, big hopes for the rest of the season Champions League run perhaps um, Champions League to be honest looking at the draw the other day I was pretty pleased and I thought got a bit of luck here yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be happy if we got to a semi-finals I yeah. think that would be a really really good you know stepping stone for Liverpool and then obviously at the end of the season qualifying for Back Champions, in there. Yeah, back into the Champions League, top four, and then I think City are going to run away with it, unfortunately. But at are. least it's not the other uh, the other Man United team. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, listen, um, everyone, we will be back, um, where are we now, Thursday? We'll be back on Monday uh, to look back on Bournemouth. Hopefully, uh, James and Neil, who are making the long trip down to South Coast, will be with us. Um, we can't promise Sam then, but you can see her on BBC uh, on Sunday night for Sports Personality of the Year. Um, probably going to be Anthony Joshua, but um, we will see. And uh, But good luck to everyone who's nominated for that. Including Bianca. Including Bianca, especially. Good local, local girl. So um, this has been your Blood Red podcast. Sorry we didn't have any goals to talk about, but um, we've enjoyed it. Hope you have too, and especially getting an insight into the life of an elite athlete. So thank you to Sam. Thank you to Christian. See you all on Monday. Cheerio.